Hello everyone, and welcome to the third part of the Unit 6, or let's say the third subunit of Unit 6, 6.3, known as the de Disease Defenses. This unit is really complicated, and as you don't understand, go and come back and listen to it again. We're going to talk about immunity systems and the lines of defenses of the body. So at first, we are going to start with the first line of defense in our body. Now, let's ask this, what is the first line of defense? The first line of defense against infectious disease are the surface barriers that prevent the entry of pathogens into the body. Now, these surface barriers include both the skin and mucous membranes. So, you know, the skin of your body, they protect the external structures when they intact. And the mucous membranes, for example, in your ears, in your nose, they protect internal structures such as externally accessible cavities and tubes such as the trachea. And it consists of thin region of living surface cells that release fluids to wash away the pathogens. The another kind of the defense barrier is blood clotting. Now, clotting is a mechanism by which broken blood vessels are repaired when damaged. Clotting functions to prevent blood loss from the body and limits pathogenic access to the bloodstream when the skin is broken, of course. Now, there are two key components of blood clot, the platelets and fibrin. Now, the platelets undergo a structural change when activated to form a sticky plug at the damaged region. Then the fibrins form an insoluble mesh of fibers that trap blood at the site of damage. There are several factors that help the blood clot, the fibrinogen, prothrombin, and again the platelets. But fibrinogen is a protein which is found in the blood plasma and is produced by the liver. Then prothrombin is another plasma protein but is not produced in the liver. And platelets are the cell fragments that are formed inside our bone marrow. But what is the sequence of the blood clot? Now we are going to talk about that because it's one of the important parts of biology. Now the sequence of blood clot is, is first of all, the blood vessel gets damaged. Then the damaged blood vessel cell releases chemicals that they cause platelets to stick to the damaged area. Then the damaged tissue releases chemicals called the clotting factors. And then these clotting factors, they convert prothrombin into thrombin. So when this happens, the thrombin acts as an enzyme to convert the fibrinogen, which we talked before, the protein, which is found in the blood plasma, from being soluble or being dissolved in the plasma, which would be formed its, into its insoluble form called fibrin. So fibrinogen would be turned into fibrin. Then fibrin forms a mesh that traps cellular debris and forms a clot. Now, we're going to talk about another factor of the first line of defense. We're going to now talk about coronary thrombosis. The coronary thrombosis is the formation of clots within the blood vessels that supply and sustain the heart tissue or the coronary arteries. Well, the occlusion of a coronary artery by blood clot may lead to an acute myocardial infraction or what you might know, heart attack. So what I said was too complicated, but if you want to say it in an easy way, it's heart attack. The blood clots formed in the coronary arteries when the vessels are damaged are a result of the deposition of cholesterol or atherosclerosis, which we have talked about before. Then atheromass, the fatty deposits, the fatty deposits develop in the arteries and significantly reduce the diameter of the lumen. Then the restricted blood flow increases pressure in the artery, leading to the damage to the arterial wall. When this happens, the damaged region is repaired 
with fibrous tissue, which significantly reduces the um, elasticity of the vessel wall. As the smooth lining of the arteries progressively degraded, lesions from the atherosclerotic plaques, and if the plaque ruptures, blood clotting is triggered, forming a thrombus that restricts the blood flow. If the thrombus is dislodged, it becomes an embolus and it can cause a blockage in a smaller arterial. Okay, I know you didn't understand this complicated, but don't go hard on this. The only thing you need to know in here is that coronary thrombosis is the formation of a clot within the blood vessel that supplies and sustains in the heart tissue. And the occlusion of a coronary artery, which is a coronary thrombosis, can lead to a heart attack. That's the most important thing you know. The causes and consequences of coronary thrombosis, if we want to say in a more specific and breaking down way, is that first, the healthy human heart. Then we can see the plaque with fibrous cap, which is like the fatty deposit. They would be formed into your vessels and they would make a fatty deposit. Then the cap ruptures because the blood wants to flow. This blood clot forms blocking the artery. So when the uh, cap ruptures inside your blood vessel, it would be damaged because it's a fat and it's damaging inside the blood vessel. So the blood clot is formed and the dead heart tissue at the site of blockage, it gets like damaged and needs to be replaced. So that might, because of that, it might cause the heart attack and it's really crazy. So now we've done with the first line of defense. We understood that the first line of defense is the physical line of defense or what is known as it's physical because it's your skin and your mucus. The second line of defense, however, is against infectious diseases and is the innate immune system, which is non-specific to its response. Now, what is a non-specific response? Non-specific response is a generalized response to pathogen infections involving the use of several white blood cells and plasma protein. The non-specific immunity or the innate immunity is the immune system with which you were born, made up of phagocytes and barriers. So it's like uncontrollable. You cannot control your non-specific uh, immunity or your innate immunity. So... Um, the innate immune system has two key properties. It does not differentiate between the different types of pathogens and it responds to an infection the same way every time, which is not adaptive. So as a part of that, now let's talk about the phagocytes. The phagocytosis is a process by which solid materials such as pathogens are ingested by a cell. The phagocytic leukocytes circulate in blood and move into the body tissue in response to the infection. Now the damaged tissue releases chemicals such as histamine which draw the white blood cells to the site of infection. The pathogens are engulfed when cellular extensions surround the pathogen and then fuse to form an internal vesicle. The vesicle is then fused to a lysosome and the pathogen is digested. The pathogen fragments may be presented on the surface of a phagocyte in order to stimulate the third line of defense. Now. The third line of defense is against infectious diseases and is the adaptive immune system, which is specific in its response. So this time is not non-specific; it is a specific response. And specific response is uh, when is an attack aimed at a particular antigen. So it's like when you want to attack an antigen, and you you need antibodies for that. Uh, in the third line of defense, it can differentiate between particular pathogens and targeted response that is specific to a given pathogen. It can respond very rapidly upon the re-exposure to a specific pathogen. One of the key factors in the third line of defense are lymphocytes. The adaptive immune system is coordinated by lymphocytes. 
a class of leukocytes and results in the production of antibodies. The B lymphocytes or B cells are antibody producing cells that recognize and target a particular pathogen fragment or an antigen. Then the helper T lymphocytes are regular cells that release chemicals to activate the specific B lymphocytes. When a phagocytic leukocytes engulf a pathogen, some will present the digested fragments on their surface. Uh, these fragments or antigen presenting cells migrate to the lymph nodes and activate the specific helper T lymphocytes. The, the helper T cells that release cytokines to activate the particular B cells capable of producing antibodies which are specific to the antigen. Then at the end, the activated B cell will divide and differentiate to form a short-lived plasma cells that produce high amounts of a specific antibody. The antibodies will target their specific antigen, enhancing the capacity of the immune system. So now, let's talk about antibodies more. Part of the antibody, antigen, is a substance that the body recognizes as foreign and that will elicit an immune response. Or when the body, the antibodies see an antigen, they would attack the antigen to destroy it. Antibody is a protein produced by B lymphocytes and plasma cells that is specific to a given antigen. Antibodies are made of four polypeptide chains that are joined together by disulfide bonds to form a Y-shaped molecule. You know how antibody is a Y-shaped molecule. The ends of the arms are where the antigen binds. So on the Y, on the top of the Y is where antigen binds. These areas are called the variable region and they differ between antibodies because they're different between the antibodies. They, they, each antibody has a specific antigen. So each antigen has a specific antibody and it's very weird, but it's like that upper part of it, which is like the Y-shaped, is where it binds to the antigen that is different for every kind of antibody, depending on the infectious disease. The, each type of antibody recognizes a unique antigen, and antibiotics are chemicals produced by microorganisms to kill or control the growth of other organisms. So antibiotics work by blocking processes that occur in a prokaryotic cells, but not in a eukaryotic cell. You might all have heard of antibiotics. For example, let's think about antibiotics such as Panadol or Paracetamol or this kind of stuff that they are like they're blocking the process that occur in the prokaryotic cells. The metabolic features that may be targeted by antibiotics include key enzymes, 70S ribosomes and components of the cell wall. Because eukaryotic cells do not possess these features, antibiotics will target the pathogenic bacteria and not the infected host. So because bacteria is a single cell, and they are somehow the prokaryotes. Antibiotics may either kill the invading bacteria or suppress its potential to reproduce, or they would stop the reproduction of the bacteria. Viruses do not possess a metabolism, they are not alive, and instead they take over the cellular machinery and infected host cells. As such, they cannot be treated with antibiotics and must be treated with specific antiviral agents. Antiviral treatments target specific to viruses, like viral enzymes. Since the discovery of the first antibiotic in 1928, antibiotic compounds have been used to treat a variety of bacterial infections. Antibiotics can be narrow spectrum, which are effective against specific bacteria, or broader spectrum, which are effective against many bacteria. So narrow means it's specific to only one bacteria, but broad means to more, more than one uh, bacteria. Some strains of bacteria have evolved with genes that confer resistance to antibiotics, and some strains have multiple resistance. 
Genes may confer resistance by encoding traits that degrade the antibiotic block instantly, increase its removal, or alter the target. Because bacteria reproduce at a rapid rate, resistant strains of bacteria can proliferate very quickly following the initial mut mutation. The first chemical compound found to have antibiotic properties was penicillin, which was identified by Alexander Fleming in 1928. The discovery of penicillin was a fortuitous accident. It was a big accident. It was not supposed to be discovering penicillin. It resulted from an unintended contamination of a dish containing SROs. A penicillium mood began to grow on the plate and a halo of inhibited bacterial growth was observed around the mood. Fleming concluded that the mood was releasing a substance, which is penicillin, that was killing the nearby bacteria. Mood, I mean M-O-U-L-D. The medical applications of penicillin as antibiotics were demonstrated by an Australian scientist, Sir Howard Florey, in 1940, which worked with another scientist, Ernst Chain, which we're going to call it Florian Chain Experiment. The Florian Chain Experiment was that the eight mice were infected with a pathogenic bacteria, or hemolytic streptococcus. So when they were injecting this, the uh, mice were injected with streptococcus, and four of these mice were subsequently injected with doses of penicillin. So they were doing with four, four of them penicillin and four of them no further treatment. So when they, uh, when they injected the streptococcus, the untreated mice, which they were untreated with penicillin, died of bacterial infections while those treated with penicillin all survived, which demonstrated its antibiotic potential. The conclusion was that penicillin has antibiotic properties that kills bacteria but not host cells. So, in 1941, Howard Florian, Ernest Kine, and Alexander Fleming were collectively awarded the Nobel Prize for Medicine following a chemical determination of penicillin structure in 1945. Now, at the end, the last part of this subunit is about HIV, or the Human Immunodeficiency Virus, which is a retrovirus that infects healthcare T cells, disabling the body's adaptive immune system. It causes a variety of symptoms and infections collectively classed as acquired immunodeficiency syndrome, or AIDS. HIV destroys the antibody producing the plasma cells, which decreases the effectiveness of the immune system. It turns into AIDS when all of the plasma cells have been destroyed and a person's ability to produce a specific immune response has completely gone. Syndrome is a group of symptoms. So syndrome is not like what you have, it's like uncontrollable series of symptoms. So what are the effects of HIV? HIV specifically targets the helper team lymphocytes, which regulate the adaptive immune system. Following the infection, the virus undergoes a period of inactivity during which infected helper T cells reproduce. Eventually, the virus becomes active again and it begins to spread, destroying the T lymphocytes in the process. But how HIV is transmitted? HIV is transmitted through uh, sexual contact, through pregnancy and breastfeeding, feeding, through injection of the drug use, occupational exposure and blood transfusion or organ transport, which has not been took tests and maybe the blood is, is infectious, which has HIV, but we are unaware of. And we have to say that so many people in the world live without knowing that they have HIV. And that's it all for unit 6.3 of immunity system and immunity defenses. If you hadn't completely understood this unit, go back and listen again. And I hope you to see you guys on the next subunit, unit 6.4. Thank you.